Tonight, um, you know, I don't know how it is when you read it, if you realize just how applicable it is. You know, we're talking about the challenge when you go to church. We're talking about the value of vows, which I believe is a lost art. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the sins of society. We're going to talk about the menace of money. We're going to talk about a lot of crazy things that are very applicable. And so whatever you do, don't tune out. Don't say, well, this is some Old Testament book that was kind of weird that Solomon wrote when he was backslidden. You know, one of the things about this book, it, because of the fact that he was not really um, there with all the Christian cliches, he makes you think about some pretty deep things. Next week, we're going to talk about how he said, basically, man, I wish I never lived. Uh, some people, it would be better if they were never born at all, if they were born dead. And so, you know, some people feel that way. Some people actually have those feelings, like, I wish I were never born. I, I wish I were dead. And so we're talking about a man, yeah, he's probably not right on target. Yeah, he's probably not, you know, right where we are with all our Christian comfort cliches. He's not there, but it's a good thing because it takes us out of that and it makes us think. And so uh, the first thing is kind of cool. Look again at verse 1. He says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Now, these are important words of wisdom for their walk while spending time in the temple. You know, back then the temple was considered the house of God, right? For us, the challenge is when we go to church service. That's what he's really dealing with here. And he says, when you go to church, draw near to hear. That's why we're here. We want to draw near to hear. To hear what? To hear God. I want to hear God. What for? So that I can get to know God and so that I can learn to obey God. And so it's really applicable for us as a church. Like, hey, you're going to church. What are you going to do? We're going to have a good time. We're going to sing some songs. And that guy's going to talk for a little bit. Afterwards, we'll, you know, probably fellowship and go get some food at In-N-Out. And what he's saying right here is, no, time out. You know, when, you're, when there's time in the temple, I want you to walk prudently. When you go to the house of God, the challenge for the church is when you go to church, I want you to draw near to hear God. Every single person has that responsibility. Whatever study I go to, it doesn't matter who's teaching, I always say, Lord, speak to me. Tell me something. And it doesn't matter. And I've gone to many studies over the years before I was a pastor, 14 years sitting under teaching, multiple times a day, I mean, multiple times a week, listening to studies. I still sit under teachings. And I'm, when we go, what do we, we draw near to here. He's saying, whatever you do, don't offer the sacrifice of fools. Again, look what he says right there. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to here rather than give the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they do evil. They do evil when they go to church. They don't want to hear. So I'm really here to hear. God says they do evil. You know, and, and so the sacrifice of fools, what exactly is that? 
It might be in reference to thinking that I can earn God's favor through random or routine religion. Some people actually believe, and maybe it was on Easter service, it could be on a Sunday service, that if I go to church and I kind of earn some demerit points with God, I, my attendance, you know, gives me favor with God. There are some people who believe that if I put $10 in that agape box right there, then, you know, that's a, a sacrifice to suffice. Some people have that mentality, and Solomon here says, and I have a feeling that what happened when they first dedicated the temple, can you imagine how exciting that must have been when they first built the temple, but then over the years, he backslid, the nation backslid, and then next thing you know, everybody's just going through the motions, they got the religion, they got the routine, they're not really there to hear the voice of God, because that will change your life. You hear the voice of man, no big deal. You're there and you're just whatever, no big deal. But when you hear the voice of God, then it changes everything. And we go to church a lot. You guys are here on a midweek service. You go, here, you go to church a lot. Do you hear the voice of God? Does he tell you anything? You know, the sacrifice of fools is the one, it's just a religion, it's just a routine, it's what I do on Sundays, it's what I do on whatever day it might be. You know, and so the Lord says, hey, be careful. You know, some say the sacrifice of fools might be in reference to what I can get by giving my sacrifice. Now, so try to keep it in context. They go to the temple and they bring the animal. And you guys remember they had the fellowship offering. They had the peace offering. And so you go and you bring the sacrifice. You bring the lamb. And then they would give a portion to the priests. They would give a portion to the Levites. And then there would be a portion for them to have as well. And so you get, you know, whatever, tri-tip. You get this barbecue. You're excited about it. And you give this sacrifice in order to get. That is a sacrifice of fools. There are those who have that mentality when they go to church. Yeah, I'll go ahead. As I heard health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine, they says if you give, you get. And some people have that mentality. I'll go and I'll give as long as I get. And so what Solomon says is, no, no, that's not how it works when you go to the temple and spend time there, walk prudently. You church, here's the challenge. When you go to church, draw near to hear the voice of God so that you can get to know him and that you can then learn to obey him. Because when you obey him, and we've been reading this through as we're reading through the Bible, you're going to get blessed. So it's very important for us to be able to hear what God has for us. You know, one last view regarding the sacrifice of fools is some link it to the foolish vows that Solomon will touch on. And so we're going to see that as we go through our, our chapter today. But it's to me, I'm like, okay, Lord, this is really, really, really cool. This is really, really applicable. I don't know if you have that mentality in your in your mind, but but every time you walk through those doors, you're like, okay, Lord, I'm here to hear. I'm here to hear what you have to say to me because I know you're a personal God. Lord, give me something. And I know how it is because I'm not the best Bible teacher and I've sat under many Bible teachers and I know how it is, but no matter who it is, I always say, give me at least one thing. Give me at least something that I can take home 
And a lot of times it's not even what the guy said. Sometimes it's just a verse that you read. I've been embarrassed sometimes. Some people come up to me after service and they say, hey, Manny, that was a cool verse. That, I mean, that you were teaching, but while you were teaching, the Holy Spirit put this other verse on my mind and I went over there and it was really cool. Look what God showed me. And I'm like, okay, I mean, that's cool. You didn't hear from me, but you heard from God. This is why we're here. We are not here to offer the sacrifice of fools because Solomon says right there, that is evil. If you're here to do that, don't even come. We are here to hear God. So that's a challenge to the church. Point number one. Point number two is the value of vows. The value of vows. And you guys are going to see this is really cool. Look what he says in verse two. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed, better not to vow than to vow and not to pay. So before you just like, let me get past this vow thing, I want to tell you something. We should be making more vows to God. You want to know what what a people that don't make any vows to God are? They're people who have hardly any commitments to God. Now, this is different than what Jesus said. Hey, when you uh, tell someone you're going to do something, you know, you swear on the temple or swear on the gold. You know, I swear to, you know, remember we used to say that before just to make sure that people uh, uh, believe that we were telling them, you know, we really were going to follow through what we were saying. I'm not talking about swearing. I'm talking about vowing. And he's talking about vowing. And, and so uh, we'll talk about this. It's really cool. When was the last time you made any vows to God? And a lot of people never have. They, they don't do it anymore. And so here's the thing, and we're going to see we can't make rash vows but when he leads us to make vows, we got to keep them. And so look what he says right here. Again, not to be rash with our vows. And so that's making a vow without careful consideration of the consequences of what you're saying. You know, as someone who just blurts something out, they're hasty in their hearts, making promises to God that you haven't really prayed about. You're not really being spirit-led. Oh, God, this year I'm going to read the Bible in a year. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, was that you or was that the Lord? Did you really mean it? Was God really leading to you? And now you're like, well, okay, I guess I can't do it. Sometimes that happens. And we have to come to a place. Listen, if you told God that you're going to read the Bible in a year, then he says, keep the vow. Don't delay in keeping it. Because if you delay to pay it, then you're probably not going to pay it. So what we're talking about is don't make hasty vows. If we make a vow to God, he expects us to keep it. Deuteronomy 23, uh, 21 through 23, it says, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which has gone from your lips you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vow to the Lord your God, which you have promised with your mouth. And so um, we need to be careful with our declarations. When you make a vow, understanding your positions, he's in heaven, we're on earth. Not necessarily a truth regarding geography or location, 
something to consider regarding position. He's God. And we're, we're just men. You make a vow to a man. You know, you make a vow to someone, hey, I'm going to be there. You should keep your word. You should be a person of your word. But let me just tell you, there is an infinite difference when you make a vow to a man and when you make a vow to God. And that's what he's saying. Hey, you're making these vows, random, all that kind of stuff. He's in heaven. You're on earth. Have you forgotten that? Oh, God, yeah, I'm going to give to you regularly now. And I'll use that last for two weeks. I mean, we kind of get lost in a lot of that stuff. You know, what we see here, and I pray that, you know, I think that in the church there's a lot of lack of discipline. Hardly anybody fasts when Jesus said we should be fasting. Hardly anybody prays when Jesus said, you know, when you pray. And a lot of times people don't read their Bible. I I don't think people vow either. And I think it should be a part of what we do. You know, just because we're not to be hasty in our vows doesn't mean we're not to make any vows. You know, I think of of Jacob. He kind of talked to the Lord. He said, Lord, if you bring me back, uh, I'll give you 10%. I think of Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus got saved, he said to the Lord, and he got up, and he says, I'm going to give half my, my, my money to the poor, and if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to give them four times the amount that I, I ripped them off for. You know, I think of individuals like that. I think of Paul the Apostle in the book of Acts. He made vows. There were seasons where he made vows, and he even supported men who made vows to God when you read the book of Acts. And so for me, as I'm reading this, I'm like, Lord, you know, vows are good. They have their place. They just must not be done hastily. They got to be spirit-led, you know? I mean, even when you think of vows, I think most of us here, we immediately think of our marriage vows, huh? Those of you who are married, right? Uh, For better or worse, uh, for sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And that guy right there, he made that vow and he broke that vow and he left his wife. And what we're seeing right here is God is going to deal with that person. You know, when my wife and I, we got married, we did different vows. We took him from the book of Ruth and treat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so and more to me if anything but death parts you and me. Now, when I made those vows, May 9th, 1992, right? I got it right. It's not even in my notes. God heard. And God holds us to those vows. And and I think it's good. I remember a while back, uh, there was a guy, he phoned uh, Pat Robertson, and he was talking to him about how his wife has Alzheimer's. And she had had Alzheimer's for years. And the guy's saying, you know, it's been so difficult, and she doesn't even know who I am, and things like that. And, you know, it just broke my heart, and it made me so angry to hear this guy say, it's okay for you to get a divorce, because she's kind of dead already. Now, this is a Christian televangelist who doesn't understand the value of vows. 
And so for us, when we're reading here, I want to encourage you to talk with the Lord, not make hasty vows, but Lord, what type of commitments uh, do you want from me in my prayer life? What, what type of commitments do you want me to do with you, with your finances? What, what type of commitments do you have for me regarding serving? Is it just hit and miss? Is it just kind of like quesera, Sarah? Or is there any type of commitment that we have to God? I mean, some people, even church attendance is hit and miss. I think that we need to start making vows and keeping them. It kind of continues with that in verse 6. He says, Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams... And many words, there is also vanity, but fear God. And so, have you guys ever experienced it where your mouth, your big mouth got you in trouble? Have you guys ever done that? That's what he's, I've been there. Your mouth causes your flesh to sin. But look at verse 6. He says, nor say before the messenger of God, that it was an error. Now, you read the book of Malachi and you find out that the messenger of God were the priests. And so what he's talking about is you made a vow to God and now you want to change it. Now you go to the priest and you say, oh, you know what? I changed my mind. I didn't really mean it in the moment after all, right? And nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. And what he says right here, you know, you, you, you talk your way into it. You try to talk your way out of it. You go to the messenger and you tell them you didn't mean what you said. Look what he says right there. If you would look at verse 6, it's dangerous. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? That's dangerous. You made a vow to God, keep the vow. Don't make excuses. Don't go to the priest or whoever it is. Oh, you know what? It's kind of changed my mind. No, you keep it for. We see here God it deals with this in a dangerous way. Why should God destroy the work of your hands? There will be consequences of people who don't keep their commitments, right? And so verse 7 is interesting again. Something we saw in verse 3, from the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. Now verse 3, it says that there's a lot of activity, then you dream more. And then verse 7 says uh, there's a lot of dreams and then it's vanity. And basically what he's saying when you look at this right here is um, a a couple of possibilities. Number one, um, you guys all dream, right? We all dream. Some people, I think their dreams are more vivid. They they, uh, maybe because they had too many tacos. Maybe there's just too much activity going on and it causes them to think too much or dream too much. And then, so a lot of activity leads to dreams. A lot of words, you're just talking, talking, talking. It leads to trouble. That's basically all he's saying. So the interesting thing, though, is you can even, and I do this kind of in a romantic way, you can even take those dreams and make it more of a beautiful thing, like dreams. So I have a dream. You're dreaming about that, right? And then next thing you know, you're making these commitments and vows that you really shouldn't, that aren't spirit-led, you haven't prayed about. And so, you know, for us today, as we're going through Ecclesiastes, it's a challenge to the church. Come here to hear. Number two, we're learning, I think, the value of vows. Don't be hasty in making vows. 
But, but have some type of commitment. Have some type of, Lord, this is what I think you're leading me to do. Uh, me, as a guy who, uh, I need those. I need the, the Lord to lead me with details as far as my prayer life, my reading life, who I pray for, praying for the pastors, praying for the overseers, praying for my family. If I don't I'd somehow get some type of organization in there, then it ain't going to happen. And so the Lord, I'm not saying I followed through on everything. This right here is going to be helpful for me, but I try my best. The value of, of vows. Next in verse 8, we see the scandal of the system. The scandal of the system. In verse 8, if you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. For high official watches over high official and higher officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all, and even the king is served from the field. And so, you know, basically what this verse talks about is the sadness of what we often see in bureaucracy. You know, all the red tape of the system and the matrix, uh, and to see uh, because of that, so many suffer. Really, in the land, the lack of true justice. You know, the Lord had warned Israel what would happen if they chose to be a monarchy instead of a theocracy. Back in First Samuel chapter eight, ten through twenty, when remember they were a theocracy, they were a nation that was led by God, and then they started demanding for a king. We want a king to be like all the rest of the nations. We want a king. And so Samuel said, okay, you guys want a king? You know what he's going to do to you? I mean, he's going to take your grain. He's going to take your girls. He's going to take your boys for his soldiers. I mean, he is going to strip you, tax you. I mean, all the crazy things. And they said, we don't care. We want a king. And so now they're starting to feel the brunt of it. And, and what, what Solomon says right here is, you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice. When you see it, don't trip out on it. That's what he basically says right here. Don't, don't, uh, don't um, marvel at the matter because that's the structure that you guys chose. That's the, the, the system that we live in. Don't be a su- surprised about it. It's the mode of this man-made machine. Now, I know there are some of you here that are thinking, well, United States of America, we were, when we were founded, we were like a perfect country. And that's what we need to get back to, the perfect country that we first started as. And I do believe we were a way better country than we are now when it comes to the values that we have and the Judeo-Christian principles that we have. But wherever man is involved, there will always be a mess. A mess. Well, you're like, well, if I ruled, it'd be different. Yeah, right. You know, and that's what he's saying right here. It's a trip, you know. I mean, you look at this, the, the poor, and you look at the, the perversion, and you look at the, you know, government officials, and they're all over them, and that kind of stuff, and whatever it is, you go to the top tier, whatever country it might be in, and it just breaks your heart. And so, you know, Solomon, all he says right here is don't marvel. Don't marvel. Don't trip. Don't be astonished. Don't be surprised. It's not until Jesus comes that it's going to be exactly what you and I envision. You know, so what do we do, Manny? Do we not do anything about it? I mean, 
Absolutely not. That's not to be our, our approach. Uh, we do whatever we can to overcome the oppression of the poor. We do whatever we can to overcome the violent perversion of justice. We do whatever we can to keep these politicians in check. We do whatever we can through prayer, through the proclamation of the gospel, uh, and even Christian infiltration into government forums, whatever it might be. You know, you run for mayor. You run for that political office. I mean, I don't know. God will show us within the countries that we live in and all the legislation that takes place and all the way that we kind of make our voice heard. That's, those are good things, right? And so you and I, what do we do in this land where you got everybody, you know, working towards all these things? I mean, it's interesting. Look what you what we read right there again in verse 9. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all. Now, I don't want to read too much into that, but um, it it could be a healthy democracy that he's talking about, but it also can have hints of socialism or even communism. That's kind of like the mentality that they have, right? And so uh, for us, of course, we resist those things. We believe that God has given us freedom, right? Freedom to worship, and it's a beautiful thing. And one of the things you're going to see about socialism, because a lot of young people are interested in that, is that what that does, little by little, is it takes God away. And so for us, we have to fight it tooth and nail, right? You and I, as the church, we have to be salt and we have to be light. We have to be a strong church in these times. And so real practical things, I think. The challenge of the church, the value of vows, the scandal of the system that we live in, and then the menace of money. Look at verse 10. Again, it says, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. And so, um, money, you know, the menace of money. Uh, Those who love money will never have enough. That's what the old New Living Translation says. He says, how absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. Look again at verse 10. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. Now, the increase, it carries the idea of just getting more. I just want more. I just want a raise. That's what he's saying right there. And then the word abundance, it means to have a lot. And so basically what he's saying is be careful. You know, if we have this mentality that says if we just get more and then hopefully God, maybe even a lot more, then I'll be set. I'll be satisfied. How many of you guys believe that? You're like, you're almost there. Just a little more. You know, there was a poll. It was asking people, um, is this statement true that the best things in life are free? How many of you would say that? Well, I can't ask you guys. You're the church. You have to say that, right? The best things in life are free. Well, I was going online and watching the debates, and they were kind of giving their views on both sides. 54% said, yes, the best things in life are free. 46% no said, no, the best things in life uh, require purchases with money, right? This is an interesting debate. 
But what we're seeing right here in Solomon, of all people, I mean, this guy was the richest man to ever live, the wealthiest ever. And he tells us that wealth will never satisfy. He said that when goods increase, somehow more people start eating your food. (laughs) You know, I don't know if you're going to have a lot of kids. I don't think it's necessarily that. Um, But the governments, the big governments, they would have a lot of people come in and they would feed their servants and the different uh, people that would come and visit the country. And so, you man, you got this spread that's crazy. And Solomon says, that's how it works. Uh, More mouths to feed, more servants for supper. And, And not only the money, but... Then, of course, those are things that money can buy, right? Those, these just seem to be more and more stuff, more and more responsibilities, more and more you know, possessions that require our attention, that require our time. And rather than traveling light, we got all this stuff, and you got to call someone to take care of the maintenance required on that thing that you purchased or whatever. The house needs to be painted, and there you are spending that time doing that or fixing the plumbing, all those problems. Eventually, they begin those possessions to possess us. And I think what Solomon is saying right here is that money can't bring satisfaction. It can't buy happiness. Really, I think the best things in life are free. And Paul the Apostle, he said something similar in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The verse before that in verse 9 He says, but those who desire to be rich, there it is, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And so, you know, the Lord knows the heart. The Lord knows the heart. I have this desire to make more money. I have this desire to be rich. And you know what Jesus said? When that becomes your pursuit, because God sees it, he says this, no one can serve God and mammon. You can try, you can try, but you won't be able to. And so for us, we have to be so careful. You know, I know when you look at stuff and you're wondering, well, how does it work? You know, it comes back to that whole concept of contentment. Here we're rich, we're hearing from the richest man all the fame, all the fortune, everything that money can buy, there at his fingertips. And as he's there with all his stuff, he is coveting that guy over there with just, he lives in a tent. But he said, I would trade places with him in, in, a, in, a, in a blink of an eye because all this stuff that you want and all the money and all that stuff, it's really not what you think. The best things in life are free. And again, I don't want to overgeneralize but, but let me just give you an example. Like it might be better to take a hike with the family. You know, you pack a picnic, mom's special sandwiches. You spend that time together talking and walking up the trail. Then you get that view from God. It's stunning, you know, maybe a quick swim in the lake. And it was all free. It was all free. You contrast that to going to Disneyland for $2,000 or whatever, <laughs> For, you know, five of you, whatever, you're in line for hours, you're on rides for minutes, it's a $20 hamburger, and at the end of the day, not only from the kids, a lot of times, not only is there a lack of gratitude, there's a ton of attitude. And you're like, well, what happened here? And again, I'm not telling you guys not to go to Disneyland. You're like, oh, man, he made a new rule. No, I'm not saying that. Listen, I'm not. I'm just saying that maybe we have bought the lie that money can buy 
happiness. And he can. You know, maybe the kids are tired. Maybe it's because the things of the world will never provide that satisfaction. Maybe that's not the happiest kingdom of all. Maybe there's a greater kingdom. And so for us, again, I'm not saying we can't go there. I'm just saying that you got to remember it's about the rides. And it's not about the rides. It's about the relationships. And the truth is, if you win the lottery, you might lose your family. You might lose your soul. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make your decisions every single day, not based on money. Oh, I just want to make some more money. Not based on money, but based on I want to know God more. You know, when you look at this, it's really interesting. We see the best things in life are free, whether it's a family's commitment, a friend's smile, hugs, laughs, you know, jokes, a toddler's giggle, a sunny day. Today was a beautiful day for a brisk walk, a good song. I mean, all the things. We can go on and on. Look at verse 13. He says, There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? And you want to know, you guys, uh, the cool thing about it, and I hope you're okay with it, because this is a beautiful thing about teaching through the Bible. He just keeps hitting that point. Money, 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 money. Because it is such a huge distraction. It's such a huge temptation. You know, and he talks about this severe evil under the sun. Solomon says if we keep too much of that money, we actually harm ourselves. The hoarders are, are really herders of self. And so, you know, I was reading about the world's... Do you guys know who the world's first billionaire was? Does anybody here know? Who was the world's first confirmed billionaire? Some of you guys know. John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller, Right? This guy, when he was in power, talking about 1916, he owned 90% of the oil reserves. I mean, this guy was just, he was ruthless and he was rich when you look at him, right? And so it's interesting, his story, at the age of 53, he began to develop ulcers and that led to insomnia, he couldn't sleep, and that led to all he could eat. Think about this, a billionaire, all he could eat were crackers and milk. Think about that. And so as he's there, 53 years old, not looking good, you know what he started to do? He started to give his money away. Philanthropy, benevolence, orphanages. I mean, the poor, he started giving it away. And you know what happened to him? He got better. He went on to live another 45 years. Why? Because what happens is when you keep it all in, and we're talking about, we're reading it right here, where you can't sleep and where you're worried and all that crazy stuff, you know, who knows? You got friends coming out of the woodworks. They, oh, you're my best friend now. Yeah, because I'm a billionaire, right? Who's your real friend, you know? And so, but then when you get generous and you start giving it away, then what ends up happening is, man, the Lord blesses. 
You know, we read right here again in verse 13, there's a severe evil which I've seen under the sun, riches kept for their owner to his hurt, right? But those riches perish through misfortune, and then when he begets a son, there is naked, there, he, naked, he's naked in his hand. There's nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he, he go. And, and so, again, I think Solomon knows this. He knows what's going to happen in the future. He knows. What if those riches perish through misfortune? The stocks fall. You lose it all. It might be a lawsuit that comes your way, embezzlement, some crooked worker, mismanagement of funds, and then there's nothing. He says right here, there's nothing to give to my children. You know, the, the, the kid came in naked. He's leaving naked. And so Solomon, he sees that as vanity. And look what he says at the end of verse 16. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? And bingo, that's the key. There are these people that are rich and they're laboring, toiling. I mean, they are caught up in working for the wind. Oh, mijo, I wish I would have been there for you, but you know I'm out there working and I had to make, you know, something so that you can have an inheritance. I'm sorry we didn't get to spend time together, but, you know, I had to do this for you and then boom, it's all gone. You know, you had a lot of people out there, they're laboring for the things that are temporal. They're laboring for the wind. We have to be so careful. You know, don't get me wrong. Parents, I mean, I don't know. It's between you and the Lord. I've talked to different parents and some parents say, I'm not giving to my kids. I want to teach them how to work, and I don't know. I mean, I'm a, a beneficiary of a, a generous parent, but it's not like, you know, hey, I got this house, and I'm all proud of it, and I'm all, I'm all into it. No, I live there. I got a place. I got a roof over my head. I got a bed to sleep on, but I got a God to serve. It's more important. And so for us, when it comes to parents and giving to our kids, you know, cool. I mean, that's cool if the Lord allows it. If it works out in your life, cool. But if not, that's okay. The main thing you give them is God. That's the main thing. You know, I think we need a proper balance between all these things. I'm not saying that all money is bad. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So I'm not saying that. But if it gets in the way of your relationship with God, it is. Many find themselves veering off because of that. So we have to all check our hearts. We have to be careful. We need to be responsible parents. We, we also need to be, you know, Christians who know their priorities. And that's how it works. We have to be careful that we don't labor for the wind, as Solomon says right here. Who do we labor for, though? We labor for the Lord. And that's why I love that verse in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so it's cool to pass those finances on, but it's, it's much better to pass the faith on. The person who labors for the wind, look at verse 17, all his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Here is what I have seen, Solomon said, it is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, listen, this is a gift of God. 
And I know you guys. I know you guys. You usually eat vegetables. I know that. You usually eat fruit and vegetables, right? And granola bars and yogurt and all the good stuff, right? But then, isn't it cool that we get to, every once in a while, like my wife, eat four-by-fours? Isn't that cool? You know, the garden asada burrito with the salsa that tastes good and is super hot or the tri-tip from time to time. And then you get the lemon up and the whatever it is, the agua fresca, the coffee with four shots of espresso, all that kind of stuff, right? Listen, God's okay with that. You guys know that? As a matter of fact, I honestly can say that that's probably one of my favorite things to do is to eat (laughs) with my family, to eat with my friends. It's a gift from God. Don't indulge or be guilty of gluttony or comfort food, but do enjoy the gifts from God. You know, those little things might actually be bigger than what you think. Like I said earlier, imagine this guy, and you know we're all looking up to whoever it might be. I don't know, LeBron James or Bill Gates or whatever. I don't know why anybody would ever look up to them, but I'm just saying sometimes we think that people you know, that drive the Lamborghini or right? they have the mansion, whatever, that you know, we just look, wow, that would be cool to live their life. And they're thinking and all the crazy chaos and emptiness that they're experiencing. Solomon was there. He said, I would rather live your life. You got that little pad over there and you got love and you got peace and you got joy and you got God. Listen, you're richer than you will ever realize when you give your life to Jesus Christ and he fills that void inside of you. Listen, that's what men that are out there can never find it. That's what they envy. And we were created, you guys, to exalt God and enjoy God. So do that. Enjoy him. Verse 20, he says, For he will not dwell unduly all on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy, I like that, of his heart. You know, and the NIV puts it this way. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. And so basically what we read in that last verse, and we'll close with this, is that if you look back, uh, don't ponder too long on the mistakes you've made you know, glance at them and just learn from them, okay? And then if you look forward, it's good to look forward, you guys. Let me just say this, to make sure that you have a home reserved for you in heaven. So learn from your past, but when it, when it comes to the future, you better get that one settled because that's forever, either with or without God. Jesus died for us on a cross. He died for your sins. He loves you. Have you ever made that decision to follow him? If you haven't, I pray regarding your future that you would know it's a gift from God. We're talking about how he wants to bless you, save you, forgive you of all your sins, give you a new start, no matter where you're coming from. All you got to do is say yes to Jesus who died and rose again. He loves you. This is what this is all about. And so you look back and you learn from your mistakes. You look forward. Make sure you have a home in heaven by giving your life to Christ. But then also when you look forward, you know, I would encourage you to make sure that you 
make those goals and you have those plans, but don't be consumed by, by, by the future. Because here's the way we end tonight. Because you guys know I'm weird, right? How many of you here know I'm weird? It's okay, I still love you. Let me just tell you how, how it went down tonight. Number one, the challenge to the church to do what? Come here to hear. Number two, the value of vows. Don't make them hastily, but have some type of commitment to God. Make a vow to God and keep it. Number three, the scandal of the system. And that's the world that we live in. And this government and no country, none of it's going to be perfect until Jesus comes. Do the best that you can, but understand that. Don't trip on that. Number four, the menace of money. Money is a good servant, but a terrible master. So don't let it rule your life. Number five, the meaning of meals. So enjoy it. Enjoy it. That's why God gave his taste buds. And that's why Darren cooks the way he does. I'm telling you, man, it's delicious. And then the last thing is this. It's just the present of the present. The present of this moment right here that we live in. It's okay to look back. And you can look a little forward. But notice what he says right here in this verse. But but God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Don't miss this moment. Wherever you're at, be all there. And you watch what God will do. I encourage you to be busy enjoying the joy of being a child of God. Take it all in. Every single scene that he paints, every sound that you hear, it could be a a crying baby, it's still joy. It really is. And so when we take it all in, I think Solomon here brings up some really cool things that are life-changing.